Greetings in the Master's name. Uh, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 9. In relation to Wednesday evening, that's something I would very much enjoy being there, but I guess um, current situation, I don't have to forego that. Here's Psalm 9. Well, the title of the message is, It's All About Him. It's all about Him. So here's Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all Thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in Thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. And in verses 9 to 11, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. <clears throat> Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. And in verse 14, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So again, the focus is all about him. Uh, and the psalmist is talking about praising the Lord and giving glory to him and rejoicing in him. Now, these verses 9 to 11, he talks about the Lord being a refuge in times of trouble, putting our trust in him. The Lord hasn't forsaken those that seek him. Then he talks about singing praises. As I was reading through the Psalms, these thoughts kind of, these phrases or these thoughts uh, kind of um, stood out to me about how often the psalmist is saying he's, he's focusing on God, he's praising God. And uh, so I had made note, jotted down a number of places, and I want to uh, call attention to those this morning. But just recently, I, I was looking at this book under his wings. It's not a new book. It was, it's a book about the... Uh, the church at San Bartolome, mainly, I think, uh, says an inspiring story of miracles, tragedies, God's care for the fledgling Quiche Church in the rugged highlands of Guatemala, and uh, it's for it's on sale now. It must be uh, kind of past its time or something. Must not be selling well because it's closed out and only costs two dollars and ten cents. So I, I bought some, uh, but I was I was reading in it and uh, I thought about this. In relation to these verses here, 9 to 11, I'm going to read um, a fair amount here. The uh, I'll start in here where this uh, church member, you see, during the guerrilla war there, or the civil war, um, church members were kind of caught between two. The, the, uh, the government, the civil patrols, wanted the members to join them, and of course, and the guerrillas wanted them to join them. And of course, they wouldn't join either one, and so they were kind of getting it from both sides. And anyway, this Bartolo, um, the guerrillas had been there 15 days before and told him they was coming back for him 15 days because he wouldn't join them and, and they was going to see if he was ready to join them then. So here he was busy harvesting his corn. And, and just when he got his corn in that night, he was thinking, okay, I'll start reading. Suddenly Bartolo gasped, oh, my Lord, you know, I just thought of it. Today is the 15th day. The deacon glanced at the open window, at his family slumbering about him, and then began to pray to the Lord with an anguished heart. 
Oh, Father, I just commit my precious wife and two darling children into your hands in my life too, dear Lord. A sense of peace wrapped his heart as he closed his eyes and drifted into an exhausted slumber. Suddenly, Bartolo sat upright. What was that? Scarcely breathing, he listened tensely for an unusual sound. Tilting his watch to an angle, he could faintly see the small luminous hand pointing to ten, and the minute hand had just passed the twelve, ten o'clock. Crash! There it was again, the sound that had first awakened him. Stones pelted onto the roof and sides of the house. Nobetta clutched her husband's arm with the iron grip of fear. Bartolo, they've come. Drawing his wife near, the two of them huddled together, listening to the agitated voices and shuffling of feet outside their home. The children whimpered as another volley of stones rained on the hut. Fists smashed into the door and boots kicked against the side of the house. <clears throat> Bartolo slipped to a window. In the darkness of the clouded moonless night, he could make out a crowd of milling men. There must be at least forty of them, he thought. He remembered the words the big man had hissed two weeks early, earlier. All right, buddy. We'll be back in fifteen days. We'll see then if you're ready to come with us. Fifteen days. Get up, hombre. A familiar voice shouted, Get ready! Get ready! Get ready! The mob took up the chant as they continued the assault on the house with their boots and fists and stones. Kneeling by the mat, Bartolo pulled Norberta close and began to cry out to God without fearing the consequences the delay might bring. God, you know my labor, my life, he prayed desperately. You know how I've followed your commandments and done your work. If this is my end, then you will be done, then your will be done. If those evil men take my life, I pray that you will take me to glory. Get ready! Get ready! Get ready! The crowd screamed, continuing to pelt the house with stones. Rising from his knees, Bartolo tore himself from his family, unbolted the door, and cautiously opened it a crack. Would you like to come in? He called to the mob, who had grown silent. You're welcome to come inside and search for coins, but you won't find anything, Val. Get him out! Get him out! Terrace began to shout. Get him out! Drag him out at once! Several hands reached through the doorway, snatched Bartolo, dragged him outside, and shoved him to the ground. Kneeling on his back, several Terrace tied Bartolo's hands behind him and ripped off his watch while their accomplices bound his ankles together. The mob surged closer as the terrorists kicked Bartolo and leaped on his back, crushing him with their weight. The young deacon screamed in pain as long nails protruding from the soles of his attacker's shoes ripped through his clothing and skin, slashing his back and shredding his flesh. Driven by a satanic mob spirit and fueled by hatred and anger, ignited by the Marxist and religious philosophies, the crowd lashed out against the bound, helpless victim. Nobertita sobbed covering her face with her hands as she heard Bartolo's cries of pain. She couldn't bring herself to watch the cruel torture. Father, forgive them, Bartolo cried, for they don't know what they're doing. The mob was screaming. Are you ready? Are you ready to go with us? Suddenly all grew quiet. Is your gun loaded? Norberto heard a commando ask one of his cohorts. No, no, oh God, no, the young wife sobbed softly. A metallic click echoed ominously through the silence. 
Bartolo glanced up into the frightened face of a young man whose hands shook so badly he couldn't aim his gun. An accomplice thrust his gun toward Bartolo's head. Here, let me shoot this hombre. The gunshot exploded into the night as beans from the hand-loaded shell blasted into the left side of Bartolo's head, gouging a deep bloody wound. Collapsing, Bartolo felt no pain, but he could feel blood running down his face as he lay on the ground where he had fallen. Looking up, he saw he saw shining angels gathering around him. When one dies who is faithful, he thought, the angels come to take his soul to heaven. They've come to carry me up to glory. Then Bartolo saw the gunman lift the barrel of his gun, taking aim for the final shot. This is it, he thought, closing his eyes and bracing himself for the explosion. Sensing someone kneeling beside him, Bartolo opened his eyes. He blinked and looked again. A sensation of awe surged through the young deacon as he gazed at the scene in front of his eyes. He could see a man in the whitest robe kneeling over him. Yes, it was Jesus himself. Bartolo's tense, wounded body relaxed as he heard Jesus' soothing words wash over him. Son, do not fear, because I am with you. You are blessed, for you are doing my will. With a flash of fire, the gun blasted into the night. Bartolo's eyes grew large with amazement as he saw Jesus blow against the charge, causing the pellets to drop harmlessly to the ground. With shrieks of terror, the men fell over each other in a frightened stampede to escape. Had they too seen the figure in white blow the pellets away from their target? Suddenly it was deathly still except for the barking of dogs down in the valley, away from the town marking the trail of the fleeing mob. As the blood pooled around Bartolo's head, his surroundings seemed to fade away, and he sensed he was dying. I must get into the house, he thought, but he didn't have the strength even to open his eyes. Slowly he slipped into the darkness of unconsciousness. Noberta was paralyzed with fear. She had heard the shots and knew her husband must be dead. Oh, Lord, she cried in anguish, they've killed my husband. Suddenly she heard a scuffling noise outside, followed by a persistent knocking on the door. Norberta's heart froze. No, I won't open. Oh, God, make them leave. Norberta, open. No, I won't open, she muttered, but wait. The faint voice was Bartolo's. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with me, he called. Quickly, Norberta threw open the door and helped her bruised, bleeding husband onto the straw mat. Even in the murky darkness, she could see the gruesome wound at the side of his head. It was, it was like a dream. She bent her ear close to hear the faint voice. It was like a dream. I saw Jesus. Jesus carried me to the house. His voice faded away as he drifted into unconsciousness again. And, and I thought about the poem on uh, the reporter this time and it's kind of maybe was put there more for our situation but I did think about it especially the next to last line the day is long the day is long and the day is hard we are tired of the march and of keeping guard tired of the sense of a fight to be won of days to live through and of work to be done tired of ourselves and of being alone and all the while, did we only see, we walk in the Lord's own company. We fight, 
But tis he who strengthens our arm, he turns the arrows which else might harm, and out of the storm he brings the calm. None of the nearby neighbors who had fled into the night ventured back to investigate. As Bartolo lay unconscious, he saw a vision of Jesus standing at his side, taking his hand. He felt himself being lifted above the house and over San Bartolome. Below he saw villages, mountains, and he saw souls sinking into Christless graves. My son, Jesus whispered lovingly, I have work for you to do. I'm sparing your life so that you can be a witness for me. As the sun began to rise over the mountains, a dark form slipped into the house to check on Bartolo, then carried the news of his condition from house to house. The news spread quickly through the church. People came in little groups or individually all through the next three days as Bartolo hung between life and death. The nearest doctor was a day and a half walk from San Bartolome. All the mission radios had been stolen by the guerrillas and the telegraph wires had been cut. There was no way of communicating with other mission stations or with anyone beyond the mountains. The only recourse was for the church brethren to fast and pray for Bartolo. Norberta and her two children stayed by Bartolo's bedside as he lay there more dead than alive. Norberta and Bartolo already had six small graves in the cemetery. Would the father of those six children soon fill the seventh grave? Hour after hour, Norberta kept her silent vigil beside her husband, accompanied only by her memories. She recalled the difficult days when Bartolo had left to work at the coast when he had backslidden and returned to drinking and when he had participated in the pagan festivities. Those days had been rough as she had faithfully struggled on along alone, but God had given her grace. Then came the joyful memories of Bartolo's reconciliation to the Lord, to the church, and to her. How faithful he had been after that, so loving and kind, always singing and helping with the household chores when he was not working in the fields. No better to treasure those memories in her heart. Were all those happy times going to end so soon? Throughout the next several days, relatives, friends, and church brethren sat with Nobeta at the side of the unconscious man. Jose Benito and other brethren wept and prayed over Bartolo. A desperation mounted within Jose. Something must be done, but what? Bartolo would certainly die if he didn't get help soon. There were no vehicles going in and out of San Bartolome because of the guerrillas. It just wasn't safe. Nobeta, Jose began, it's been three days now and something must be done. I've decided to walk to Santa Cruz and see if I can get help. Oh, but Jose, you can't do that. You are a marked man yourself. It would be very risky for you to travel 25 miles on that deserted path. No better to clasp her hands together anxiously. Bartolo wouldn't want you to put your own life at risk for him. No better to sit anxiously. Don't worry, no better. We are in God's hands. I am trusting him. I'll try to bring help as soon as I can, but it will take most of two days to walk to Kiche. As he climbed the craggy mountainside, Jose prayed earnestly, Lord, have mercy on your servant, Bartolo. Please give me strength to reach help in time, he panted. If only he could rest for a moment, but there was no time for a break. Please help me, Lord, for the sake of your wounded sheep. I'm so weary, Lord. Is there no end to these sufferings? How long will the guerrillas continue to harass, torture, and ravage, Jose wondered. I've suffered for you. Can you not suffer for me, Jesus seemed to say. I had to think about our song we sang, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Jose pictured the bleeding, disfigured face of Jesus, his lacerated back and the spikes that punctured the hands and feet, the blood oozing from his pierced side. A quiet calm soothed his heart. God would give grace if there was more suffering to endure. Almost a day later, Jose limped into Santa Cruz, exhausted and drained. Please, sirs, he panted, leaning against the desk of the hospital administrator. Please. 
I have a friend who was shot and needs an ambulance immediately. The administrator jumped to his feet and grabbed the phone. Shot, where is he? Son, son Bartolome, Jose gasped, wiping the sweat from his red face. The phone clattered to the floor and the administrator glared angrily at the pastor. Stop fooling. You know that no one drives to San Bartolome anymore. The gorillas are always blowing up bridges and blocking roads with rocks and tree trunks. It isn't safe. With that, the official picked up a folder of papers and sauntered toward the door. Sir, Jose clenched the edge of the desk to keep from falling. Please, I walked 25 miles to get help from my friend and... The official scanned the pastor's muddy sandals and sweat-soaked shirt. Sir, I know it would be a risk, Jose continued, but we will pay you well. The administrator sank into his chair with a sigh. You're asking an awful lot of us, but... Around four hours later, the ambulance pulled up in front of the Montesinos' home. The injured man was gently loaded into the vehicle, which then bounced and lurched over the very rough mountain road toward the safety of Santa Cruz as fast as the anxious driver could negotiate the curves. Hours later, there was a knock at the door of the Montesinos' residence. The guerrillas had caught wind that their intended victim had survived and they had returned to finish the job, but they were just a little too late. Bartolo was safely on his way to Santa Cruz. There must have been wings over San Bartolome. Once Bartolo was settled into the hospital and Jose was assured Bartolo was being cared for, the pastor took a bus from Santa Cruz to mission headquarters in Guatemala City. When Victor, that'd be Victor Ovalle, opened the door of the mission house, all the stress dammed up and Jose's heart gave way in a torrent of tears. Are the Lord's sheep all safe? Victor asked, his eyes wide with concern. It was the first question he always asked when he met anyone from the mission stations in these dangerous and uncertain times. Are all the sheep safe? I don't know about one, Jose said tearfully. I don't know. Oh, I wish we could go to Santa Cruz and bring him to the city, Victor explained when he had heard the story. I just wish I could, but it's too dangerous. Sit down, brother. Anita will serve you some food while I call the hospital and try to get a report on Bartolo's condition. Senor, the voice on the other end of the line was firm. We are sorry, but it is against our policy to disclose any information about our patients. The official had no way of knowing if the caller were a gorilla or not. Gorillas would think nothing of posing as a doctor or nurse to gain entrance to a hospital and end the life of their victim. I am Bartolo Montesino's pastor, Victor explained patiently. We need to know about our brother. Oh, you are the pastor. Oh, then, of course we can tell you, the stern voice softened. He is between life and death. We don't know if he will make it or not. We would like to x-ray him, but we don't have the equipment. Perhaps tomorrow we can get him x-rayed. Perhaps tomorrow. It is over three days already, Victor thought. We can't wait for tomorrow or the next day. Will you please send him to Guatemala City? I'd like to see what they can do for him at the Admano Pedro Hospital. We will pay you for the expenses of the trip. Victor's voice was polite but firm. Oh, it's too late to transfer a patient today anymore, the official replied. It would be dangerous to travel at this time of the day. And the dangers of travel intensify with coming darkness, you know. Yes, tomorrow we will transfer your friend. Victor was desperate. Senor, please reconsider. We will pay you well for your efforts and risk. Well, maybe if you'd pay us 130 quetzales, then maybe... Yes, Victor cried, yes, we will pay you 130 quetzales. Please transport him to Edmano Pedro Hospital immediately, and I will meet you there with the money. 
The ambulance made the four-hour drive from Santa Cruz to Guatemala City without incident, arriving at San Pedro about 9 o'clock that evening. Dr. Leon, an expert bone specialist, rushed Bartolo into surgery. With the extent of his injuries, I can't believe this man is alive, the doctor exclaimed to his staff as he examined the head wound. There was not much I could do, Dr. Leon explained to Victor after the operation. The beans have already sprouted in his head. To dig them out, I would have to go so deeply into his brain that it would cause brain damage. So I just sewed him up with the beans intact. Now all we can do is wait. Considering how near Bartolo had been to death, he improved rapidly in the two weeks he spent at the hospital. The injury caused only slight memory loss and no brain damage. When he was released from the hospital, he stayed at mission headquarters and with his family for several months. During this time, the beans that had remained in his head worked their way out of his temple. As Bartolo's wounds healed, his family and his brethren noticed that Bartolo became even more sensitive and compassionate. He loved to help other people in need. Since he was no longer capable of handling the stress of church leadership, he was considerably excused from those responsibilities. However, he, he ministered to those around him through the beautiful hymns and choruses he sang as he went about his daily chores. His soft, gentle, sweet voice floated through the air, soothing, lifting, and encouraging his own heart and the hearts of all who passed by. Did the grills accomplish anything that night in November? They meant it for evil, but God used it for good. The native people of the whole Quiche region heard the amazing testimony and were blessed to see how God miraculously spared Bartolo's life and gave him a sweet, radiant disposition and a beautiful song. So, the verses say that the Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. So what does that mean? Was he a refuge for Bartolo? I don't know how many of the native Christians were killed. This was over the time that John Troyer was killed. But uh, they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. We certainly see that in his life, in this man's life. At the, end of that, at the end of the chapter, there's a little poem by Amy Carmichael that's rather searching. It's titled, No Scar. Hast thou no scar? No head and scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against the tree to die, and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierce the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound nor scar? Psalm 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? 
How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he had dealt bountifully with me. Uh, look at uh, number 690 in your hymns of the church. Six ninety. Now, thank we all our God. When do we often sing this song? Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, yes. Um, we tend to have a good bit to be thankful for. Notice uh, Martin Rankart wrote this, a Lutheran pastor in Germany. Now, thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Um, and uh, probably a lot of you know the, um, the uh, history of that song, but um, Martin Rinkert, Lutheran pastor, and he, at the age of 31, he became the archdeacon in his native town of Eilenburg. That was in 1617. 1618 is when the Thirty Years' War started, so from 1618 to 1648. This song was written in 1636. Uh, he went there just as the war broke out and died just after the peace. And throughout these 31 years, he stood by his flock and helped them to the utmost under every kind of distress. Of course, he had to endure the quartering of soldiers in his house and frequent plunderings of his little stock of grain and household goods. But these were small things. The plague of 1637 visited Eilenburg with extraordinary severity. The town was overcrowded with fugitives from the country districts where the Swedes had been spreading devastation, and in this one year, 8,000 persons died in that town. The whole of the town council except three persons, a terrible number of schoolchildren, and the clergymen of the neighboring, par neighboring parish all died, and Rinkhart had to do the work of three men and did it manfully at the beds of the sick and dying. He buried more than 4,000 persons, but through all his labors, he himself remained perfectly well. The pestilence was followed by a famine so extreme that 30 or 40 persons might be seen fighting in the streets for a dead cat or crow. Rinkhart, with the burgomaster and one other citizen, did what could be done to organize assistance and gave away everything but the barest rations for his own family so that his door was surrounded by a crowd of poor starving wretches who found it their only refuge. After all this suffering came the Swedes once more and imposed upon the Abenhappy town a tribute of $30,000. Rinkhart ventured to the camp to entreat the general for mercy, and when it was refused, turned to the citizens who followed him, saying, Come, my children, we can find no hearing, no mercy with men. Let us take refuge with God. He fell on his knees and prayed with such touching earnestness that the Swedish general relented and lowered his demand at last to 2,000 florins. So great were Rinkhart's own losses and charities that he had the utmost difficulty in finding bread and clothes for his children and was forced to mortgage his future income for several years. Yet how little his spirit was broken by all these calamities is shown by his best-known hymn. Speaking of his country stars, but all breathing the same spirit of unbounded trust and readiness to give thanks. So 
in the midst of all that, thousands of people dying and him burying 4,000 himself. And 30, 30 years of tremendous suffering and, well, warfare is just beastly, that's all. And, and so then he writes this. Oh, may this bounteous God through our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God. And we think it hard to be thankful sometimes in the midst of our small troubles. Well, um, notice a few more things as we go a little along here. Um, Psalm 18, verse 2. This is just a review of the message two weeks ago on the rock. Lord is my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Seven nouns there telling about God and his strength. Uh, verse 49 in Psalm 18. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Another translation says some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. What do we talk about? What do we boast in? See, the title of the message is all about him. 21, verse, first verse, chapter 21. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. 13, verse 13. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. We will sing and praise thy power. Chapter 26, verse 7. That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. 29. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Uh, give unto the Lord the, the glory due unto his name. How do you do that? How much glory is due him? The uh, songwriter, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. A thousand tongues, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Do we use the one we have to speak of God? Chapter 30, first verse. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. And then uh, skipping over to Psalm 61, verse 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Kind of along the same line there of, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Chapter 71 Last part of verse 6. My praise shall be continually of thee. Verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Uh, verse 15. 
My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. Verse 16, last part of the verse. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. And verse 24, my tongue shall also talk of thy righteousness all the day long. So we have here in these verses continually and all the day, several times it says all the day. Uh, what I checked on, it said that the average person speaks about 7,000 words a day and some people could admit more. Um, of those 7,000 words, how many are about the Lord? Now, I mean, I'm realistic, I know that not every word we talk about during the day is the, about God because we got, well, just, we just have a lot of things we need to say with words, but the spirit of our words, our thoughts, and I don't know if it's uh, it was in one of these verses or it's one yet I hadn't marked. Um, it, it talked about God's wonders, about speaking of God's wonders. And you know, like I'm interested in science and stuff and there's things I can get sort of um, uh, involved with or as far as you know, telling about. Well, you know, how thrilled am I with God's wonders? So just a challenge there few more verses yet 73 Psalm 73 verse 28 it is good for me to draw near to God I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works 86 Psalm 86 verse 12 I will praise thee O Lord my God with all my heart I will glorify thy name forevermore. And again, here in, uh, in our songbook, I'll praise my maker while I breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall never be passed while life and thought and being last or immortality endures. So the psalmist says here that I'll praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, I will glorify thy name forevermore. And finally, Psalm 89, verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. It's all about him. So may our speech, um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. I mean, as I was reading the Psalms and noticing all these, it's a, it's a challenge. So, Let's remember it's all about him. Let's kneel for prayer.